So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 2, and it's a real privilege to be able to share with you guys. I've titled today's message of Repentance and Rebellion. And I think it's obviously apt that we're studying of repentance and rebellion in light of things that are happening in our culture. We see a lot of rebellion happening. In fact, if you guys are like me, for the next, I think, what is it, five Christmases, we get to celebrate rebellion, right? The new Star Wars movies come out every Christmas, and it's something that our culture embraces, this idea of rebellion. So I want to talk about uh, a story in Joshua chapter 2, and then on into chapter 6, and, and I want to contrast two different characters, one in repentance and one in rebellion. Uh, just a little bit of backstory to Joshua before we jump right in. Um, the story takes place um, in the Near East. God had made a promise with his friend Abraham to give him a land. But God told Abraham that it wouldn't happen for 400 years. That's a long time. And in the midst of those 400 years, his people would be slaves in Egypt. And so we pick up the story. They had been slaves for 400 years. Moses leads them out of captivity. In their rebellion, though, to the Lord, they wander the desert for 40 more years. So 440 years, they've been waiting for this fulfillment of this promise of this land that they're supposed to inherit. And we come to the book of Joshua, and they're at the precipice of crossing the Jordan River into the promised land. And that's where we'll pick up the story. Joshua chapter 2. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And so you guys are probably familiar with this story. Joshua sent two spies. They stayed with this woman named Rahab. Now Jericho was a very strategic city. They needed it because it kind of split the promised land in two. So if they could control the first city, they could divide the Canaanite kingdoms in half. Now, there's a lot of debate as to who Rahab was, but I think it's pretty clear from the translation we get. It's a pretty accurate translation. She wasn't the most savory character, probably. She was probably engaged in a lot of things that were less than righteous, you might say. Now, let me ask the uh, grade schoolers in the room. Where are the grade schoolers? Hey, there's one. There's another one, another one. Hey, have you guys ever done something that you probably shouldn't have done? Yeah, yeah. And the adults in the room, too. We've all done something we shouldn't have done, right? Rahab was one of those people who was probably, most of the time, doing things she shouldn't be doing. But she welcomed the spies with hospitality, and and her statement to them is very telling. Take a look at verse 10, chapter 2. For we have heard now the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan and Shion, Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, 
my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. So even though she was someone who was not a holy person, not a necessarily righteous person, she knew God. She had come to a knowledge of who God was. And she confessed that he is God. He is the supreme being. And she responded in kind. She knew that God was coming, whether or not the people of Jericho liked it. And she showed hospitality to the spies. And she responded in faith. She acted in faith because she wasn't there to witness these accounts. She only heard about them. And it's in a position very similar to us. We weren't there to see all the miracles of the Bible like the Israelites were. We have the account of them, and we've seen miracles in our lives. But Rahab acted in faith. And so the first thing I I want you guys to write down is this. Right standing with God comes with choice, not circumstance. Right standing with God comes with choice, not circumstance. We see in Rahab a person who was at the bottom of the social ladder. She wasn't born into God's chosen people. Much like us, she hadn't seen those miracles. But she had a faith that God's love would save her. That he would deal graciously with her. Because she believed in him. And in fact, we see record... Um, In Hebrews, if you want to turn there, Hebrews chapter 11, that her faith was so great, she was elected into the Faith Hall of Fame. And it says in Hebrews chapter 11, 29, By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So she saw God's people and she welcomed them in with hospitality. And she said, I want to be part of your community. Let me into your community because I know that's where God is. God is with you. And I want to be a part of that. And so the story goes on. She Helps the spies escape. She misleads the king of Jericho. And she makes them promise her to swear to her by their God that she would be safe. And they promise her. And sure enough, the Israelites come and they walk around Jericho. We've all heard the story. They walked around seven days in a row. And on the seventh day, they walked around seven times. They blew their trumpets and the walls fell down except for... Rahab's house. And she was instructed to tie a scarlet cord in her window to identify her and her family to the Israelites. And it's, it's really a neat picture of what God does for us. We could be devoted to destruction like the disobedient people of Jericho. But God has given us that scarlet thread, his blood on the cross that's been shed for us. That we get to claim as a way of 
adoption into his community, into his chosen people. Because none of us were born chosen, right? It's not a matter of being born in the right place at the right time. It's not a matter of circumstance. It's a matter of the choices that we make, the response to God's love. So that's the first story I wanted to share with you guys. So here's kind of the the counterexample to that. Uh, Chapter 6, the fall of Jericho. Joshua chapter 6. Now, the Israelites were instructed as soon as the walls came tumbling down in Jericho to go and basically take everything and give it back to the Lord as a thanks offering for what he had done for them. And they were instructed to put all the precious metals, all the valuables into the tabernacle. And so that's what they did. Or so they thought. Because they went in to fight their next battle at Ai, and they were humiliated. And their leader, Joshua, he fell on his face. And he says in chapter 7, verse 7, And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the lands will hear of it, and it will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? And the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. So the Lord said, Joshua, Buddy, you guys goofed. You messed up. And we see this playing out. Joshua then gathers all the tribes of Israel together, and they cast lots. They let the Lord lead them to the guilty party. They separate it from the tribes, to the clans, to the households, to an individual person named Achan. And Achan, it was revealed, had stolen some silver, some gold, a nice jacket, and buried them under his tent. And as a result, 36 Israelites lost their lives in that battle. There was a large consequence for his rebellion. And so Joshua took Achan outside of the camp, and he faced judgment for his rebellion. There was judgment there because he was living with unrepentant sin. He had disobeyed God, and then when they brought everyone out, he continued to pretend like it wasn't him until eventually, I mean, did they think that God wasn't going to find out? No. God sees it, and he knows what's in our hearts. And so you see, Achan had seen those miracles that the Lord had done. But he still ignored it and continued in his rebellion. Take a look with me at 1 Corinthians 12, 25. And here's why this is important for us today, you guys. 1 Corinthians 12, 25.
I'm actually going to start in 24b. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So, whatever individual choices we make, they have an effect on the larger community. We're all members of one another. What I do affects you guys. What you do affects me. And that's part of living in godly community with one another. And I hope it's for better and not for worse for us. Because we see these two stories contrasted. We see Rahab, who was outside of the community, who said, I want in. I'm going to respond to God's love in in faith. And we see Achan, who was inside God's community, and said, you know what? I don't need God. I don't need community. I'm going to do my own thing. And we see how it played out, the consequences. Rahab went on to be in the lineage of Christ, the Messiah. Achan was devoted to destruction. And so let me ask you guys this. Uh, Grade schoolers, what does it mean for you guys then when you choose to disobey? It means your choice has an effect on your whole family. We've been dealing with a long basketball season. Those of you guys that don't know, I'm a varsity basketball coach. And we started the season with 12 players on our varsity roster. I now have five of those same players. Because these kids have lived in rebellion. And now our whole team is paying the price for their rebellion. And it's heartbreaking. Because when you get cast out of the community because you're choosing to live in rebellion, you don't get to have that community surrounding you to protect you and uplift you and encourage you. And it breaks my heart to see not only those young men and women, but to see people in the church choosing rebellion over community. And so my heart for for each one of you guys, and I use the kids as an example because parents, you know it breaks your heart to have to discipline your kids. When you see them living in rebellion. Man, it sucks. It sucks. But we also get to see the flip side. That Rahab example. There are people who are crying out for community who are saying, I want in. I want to respond to God's love. I want to be part of that community. So my heart for us as a church is that we would find those people. And maybe they're in our midst. But welcome them in. Love them. Be loved by them. And so for the adults in this room, what does it mean for us when we continue walking in unrepentant rebellion? Yeah, it means it has an effect on the whole church family. And it's a bummer when the choices that we make affect one another negatively. But it's fantastic 
when I get to see members of this community loving one another. Because that is where the kingdom of God lives. In the midst of each other responding to God's love. To see the body of Christ coming together, uplifting one another, choosing to be in community, it's great. There's no better feeling on this earth than knowing that you are loved and being part of a community. And so, in light of that, I think it's really important that we consider um, the words of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. In other words, Christ died for us, for our sins. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And, a big and there. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. Now I want to stop and, and talk about that phrase to stir up one another to good works. Because I think in our English translation, it loses some of the veracity. To me, when, when you think of stirring something up, what do you think of? Like soup, making a cake, baking. It's kind of like, hmm, this might taste good. Add a little love, add a little good works, stir. Perfect results. Now, we know relationships with each other are not add water and they grow, right? They're not little chia pets. You don't just like put the water and the hair grows. It doesn't work like that. And, and I think in the Greek, the word for stir up is actually incite. And in another place, the only other place that appears in the New Testament, it means such a sharp disagreement. So that's, that's pretty severe, right? As in when something happens that people don't like, especially in Portland, they go out in the streets and there's a person up there with a megaphone and starts yelling and what? Inciting the crowd. Inciting them to riot, basically. And so when we think about this passage, let us consider how to stir one another up for good works. Basically what I should be up here with a megaphone is saying, what do we want? More love. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? More love. When do we want it? Now. I should be inciting you guys to riot in love and good works towards one another. And I know that, personally, I don't, I don't treat Sunday mornings like that all the time. Right? That's my personal conviction as I was getting ready to teach you guys this. Man, I need to be encouraging you guys. I need to be seeing what's going on in your life so I can 
feed the good stuff and trim back the stuff that needs to be trimmed. But I can't do that unless I know you. And so to me, being a part of that community is so important because we've got to be able to rabble-rouse one another in a good way, in a positive way towards love and good works. And I know that uh, you guys won't leave this teaching all amped up enough to the point where you'll be pepper sprayed for the cause of good works. But I want you to think about as you go through this week, man, where are the opportunities in my life, in my sphere of influence, people that I'm in regular contact with, where are those opportunities for love to abound, for good works to abound? You see, we have two characters here. One who had every excuse to live in rebellion outside of a community, but she chose to respond to God's love. And the other one who was born into the community who chose rebellion and isolation. Let me ask you, who received grace? Who received what they deserved? Ezekiel 18 Got a couple more places and we'll be done. I know we're all getting hungry for that lunchable. (laughs) Ezekiel 18. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel. 18 verse 30. Everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord. Repent and turn from your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. So my encouragement for you guys today is this. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus saves those whose hearts are turned towards him. He saves those who are humble enough to acknowledge that they need saving. So I urge you guys today, rejoice in the fact that you have been forgiven. Rejoice in the fact that you can be a part of a community. Rejoice in the fact that you have people in this room who love you who care about you and turn from those areas of rebellion in your life and live in the fullness of God's love.